Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I am so glad you're here this week because I have a super special guest. It's my oldest daughter, Hannah Selfors, and I couldn't be more excited to share this episode with you. I will tell you, we had a very long conversation. It runs about an hour and 10 minutes or so, so much longer than my usual episodes, but stay tuned because I think we shared a lot of great information that might be useful to you. And today we're talking about parent-child-slash-teenager communication. And as you recall from episode one, my purpose in this podcast is about how to become a better leader in all aspects of your life. So my hope is that you'll take either a piece of information, an insight, or you'll be inspired to have a maybe new and different conversation with your child. Because I firmly believe that the best way to do that is through having great communication with our children. So I just wanted to give you a little preview of this episode. Hannah and I just had sat down and had a conversation. We didn't have an agenda. We didn't have anything mapped out. But we just shared what was on our minds. And we have real, raw, honest, open conversation, which you'll kind of get a glimpse into our dinner conversations, which we talk about in the episode Um, this would be a typical dinner conversation for us. So we just let it go. And we had such a good time doing this episode. She will definitely be back. And if you haven't listened to episode 23, that's the episode where I actually interviewed my youngest daughter, Bailey Selfors, who is 17, soon to be 18. And we also had a great episode. And the things that I think they both have in common as I'm sitting here having a bit of a mom moment is I just have to say I am truly inspired, really, really inspired by both of my children. I am in total awe of them. And while they have accomplished so much in their young lives, um, they've done great work in school. Education's always been a huge family value of ours. They've done great work, my youngest, you know, with social and climate justice, Hannah with also social justice as well. And I can honestly tell you, I'm, that is secondary. I'm just truly inspired by who they are as people. So my action step for you during this episode is if you have kids, great. If you don't and you're in a relationship, You can use all of the same techniques that we talk about in this episode. So my challenge of the week for you is after you get done listening to this episode, I want you to either approach your child, your teenager, or even your adult child, or your spouse, your partner, or maybe even a friend, and ask them, how am I showing up? What do you value about our relationship? How can I show up better? What do you need from me that maybe you're not getting from me right now? And also just maybe take a moment to really share how much you appreciate the relationship that you have with this person. Going into Christmas, what a gift. What a gift for you and the other person. I encourage you to let me know how it goes. You can reach me on DM and Instagram, send me a Facebook message, send me an email, however you want to reach out. I would love to hear how it goes. So let's dive into this episode with my amazing daughter, Hannah Selfors. 
Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. I have been wanting to do this episode for so long, and I'm so glad we're finally doing it. And by the way, if anyone can hear any noise in the background, it's our little puppy. We're trying to keep her distracted. Um, She's chewing on a bone, so hopefully she doesn't go crazy during the episode. (laughs) But I'm here with Hannah, my daughter, Hannah Selfors. Hannah, I'm so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been wanting to do this for a long time, so I'm excited that we're finally sitting down to do it. We have about, I don't even know, it was, I want to say it was maybe a month or two into COVID, you and I sat down one night and we made a whole list of things we could talk about on a podcast. And it was a long list. <laughs> yeah, there were too many to choose from. So hopefully we narrowed down the right one. <laughs> There'll well, be more to come. Maybe. Yeah, we can always do more. But we feel like this one is really important. You know, as the kind of the theme of the podcast is lead your life. Obviously, leading your life is not just leading your life at work. It's about leading your life holistically as a parent, as a worker, as someone who has hobbies, as someone who has passions, who has someone has who has health, you know, that they're passionate about. And it's just really from a holistic point of view. And so that's why I had you on today, because today's topic is how to have amazing communication um, between parents and kids and teenagers. And I think that I'm actually really proud of what you and I have done and the relationship that we've had in terms of our communication and the closeness that we have. And I'm just going to tell the audience now, I already started tearing up before we were recording. That's true. (laughs) And so (laughs) I may end up getting a little choked up during this episode. So anyway, where should we start? Well, I just want to say I think that it is really important because I think when you were saying that, it just made me think that I think that you've given me the opportunity to lead my own life through the kind of parenting style that we've had and like the communication, you know, and just the relationship that we've had has been able to give me a platform to be able to like, you know, kind of jump on those opportunities and be able to feel like I can do that in my life and take an independent stance and, you know, kind of just shoot for whatever I want to go for in life. And I think like that kind of parenting has given me that ability to lead my own life, you know? All right. So let's dive in. So so tell me more about or tell the audience more about specifically what you mean by that. Like how how do you see it being a foundation for you moving forward? Well, I think that I feel like, you know, just interacting with a lot of my friends in the past and just understanding the kind of struggles that they've gone through. And obviously, you know, I've gone through my fair share of struggles as well. But I feel like the kind of differing factor in all of that is that um, I've been able to communicate with, you know, not only you, but John and, you know, like all of my parents basically in that way, because 
it's given me the opportunity to connect with you guys on a different level that I feel like a lot of people that I come into contact with haven't had with their parents and haven't had that, you know, ability and opportunity to share their feelings and emotions and just be really real with their parents. And I think that that's given me like almost like a friendship with you that I feel a lot of people don't have. And in that is a support system that I feel like a lot of people also unfortunately don't have with their parents too, because, you know, and I think that that's helped me a lot, you know, getting to where I am right now and also just moving forward and knowing that I will always have that from you guys and, you know, having those tools that you've given me. So. All right. See, I'm already tearing up. So, (laughs) all right. So let's take like a few steps back only because you know, my audience doesn't know how old you are. Um, I actually don't talk about you guys a lot only because I, hey. I'm kind of protective. <laughs> I'm kind of protective. And I'm also very respectful of kind of your privacy. And so whatever you want to share today, I'm totally cool with. I mean, we can we can go depthful and we can, you know, share whatever you want to share. But I don't feel like it's and, and maybe that's also part of my parenting philosophy is and I hope my mom's not listening. I didn't experience that with my mom. My mom like told everyone all of my, you know, stuff that I was going through. And I feel like I'm always trying to be respectful of, you know, it's your story to share. And I try to be respectful of that. But anyway, let's back up a little bit because you mentioned a couple things. Um, you have three and a half parents right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so we'll talk about that. We'll definitely talk about the divorce and what ensued after. And then um, just give everyone a little bit of background about, you know, who you are, what you're doing, how old you are, and all that good stuff. Alrighty. So um, my name is Hannah, obviously. <laughs> Self-wars. Self-wars. Um, yeah. So I go to University of San Diego. I'm a junior right now. I'm about to start my second semester of my junior year. I'm studying, I'm double majoring in philosophy and political science. And right now I'm living in San Diego with my roommates in an apartment in Pacific Beach, which I absolutely love. And so jealous. <laughs> it's pretty nice. I love it. <laughs> I'm so lucky. But yeah, I hopefully am planning on going to the Peace Corps after college and um, pursuing a PhD in philosophy and hopefully will eventually become a professor of philosophy. So that is the plan. But I know. Well, we've talked about the Peace Corps. I mean... Well, we went to New York. We actually visited the Peace Corps office. We did. Um, a while ago. Well, how old were you? Eighth grade? You no, in, that was... Wasn't that in eighth grade when we went for... That the, was when I was, I think, 16. I think that was when we went on uh, that kind of college tour trip. You're, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Because I thought I was going to go to the East Coast, but <laughs> now I'm in the paradise of California. I know. I'm so thankful you didn't go East Coast. I was totally open. I mean, we actually did a lot of college tours on the East Coast, and I'm so glad you didn't go. (laughs) Um, But I remember you really wanted to go to the East Coast because one is, I think you wanted to be as far away (laughs) as possible. (laughs) So we'll talk about that too when we Mm -hmm. get into our communication. But Uh, yeah, I think I just needed that sense of independence. And I think that's always kind of been the case even though like you know we have this amazing relationship I've always wanted to I don't know exert myself and find a place of you know identity yeah that's pretty much been from day one (laughs) so and we'll talk about that too it's just the difference between you and your sister and not from a comparison point of view or not that you know from a judgmental point of view like one is better than the other just you and you and your sister Bailey are very different Bailey and I were actually talking about that the other day we were just saying, how did we turn out so different? Like, we've had very similar lives. Like, we've literally grown up with the same people 
it's funny that we're so different when it comes to personalities and why do you feel like how do you feel that you and Bailey are so different I'll let you explain it before I explain it I honestly I don't know I just feel like as a philosophy major I always like to think that you know everything is very material and there isn't like a sense of soul but I feel like from the beginning we've just had such different personalities like I would not sleep she would sleep all the time like I would just you know like be crazy and I mean I've had ADHD as well so I mean I think that that is a lot of our differences Bailey has an amazing work ethic and is very good at time management and self-discipline and you know I, I get everything done because, you know, I, I love school and I love, you know, the things that I do, but it's a, it's a very different means of working. And I don't know, I've always kind of been, I feel like, more adventurous, not like in a bad way, putting that on Bailey, but I just feel like I've, I was thinking about the other day, you know, in eighth grade, I went to, to New York, like on a school trip. I went to Thailand by myself for a month. Um, well, with a group, but mm-hmm. I, I went there myself. And I think, you know, even this past year, I just went to to Boston to participate in a Model UN conference. And I was just thinking, like, I'm always the one to try to find those opportunities, whereas I feel like Bailey is so good at finding that community here and, like, you know, working with her activism and stuff like that. We're just very different when it comes to, like, kind of where our priorities and what we want to do. I, I think it's yeah. it's different, but it's similar, you know? Yeah, I mean, even from the very beginning, literally from the time you were born, I mean, you were colicky. <laughs> you were colicky. You were you were just a lot to handle from the very beginning. You would cry every single night from like 5 to 7 p.m. relentlessly. You were just very vocal as a kid. I mean, you were always that like you were talking super quick. I remember dad wrote down you were 14 months and you already could say like 40 words at 14 months and you were just talking nonstop, always very vocal very verbal always the kid that like you know we always had to watch because you wanted to just go (laughs) by yourself and do everything by yourself and super independent and super smart I mean that was very clear from the very beginning is that you were super bright and I don't know if you remember, but you used to stutter a little bit. When I know, you were, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, when you were young. And we took you to the doctor and they basically said, you know, she has so much going on in her mind that literally her body hasn't developed <laughs> enough to get it all out verbally, like physically, verbally. You couldn't get it all out. And that was just you from the very beginning. You were always so independent, whereas Bailey was my, you know, we used to call her my leg, my barnacle, my leg clinger. <laughs> and she was super, super quiet. In the nursery, she was the only baby that never cried. And the nurses, you know, had to bring her into me when they thought she needed to be fed because they didn't know because she would never cry. Mm-hmm. She was super quiet. And Bailey was super introverted and um, pretty shy up until recently. But um, yeah, very, very, yeah. very different personalities. Yeah. And I think as a parent, in terms of communication, you know, for me, I had to parent you. I mean, I did parent you guys very differently. I think definitely you being my first, my firstborn, I was much harder on you for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, yes, <laughs> no, I was much harder on you for sure. But you are also the kind of kid that probably needed that a bit more than <laughs> you. D- you did, and like, I mean, you were the kid that I could really be firm with you verbally, and like 
I'm embarrassed to say, like even yell at you and you would just like stare me down blank in the face. <laughs> and like Bailey, I would just raise an eyebrow and she'd go cry in her room. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you were just always <laughs> really, really tough, but resilient. Thank you. And I think the great thing about our relationship is we've been as sometimes challenging as your personality was as a kid. I always knew that in the end, the goal as a parent is to raise a self-sufficient human being that can lead their own life and can be resilient and Mm -hmm. can think on their own and be independent. And, you know, I can put you out in the world and you would be okay. And I, I never had any doubts about you. I never, I always knew that sometimes the things that maybe rubbed me the wrong way or were hard to deal with as a parent, I knew that those were skills that would get you far in life. And so I think as a parent, I really tried not to to kind of break that spirit or to, you know, I, I tried to, there was always a fine line or fine balance of trying to kind of encourage it and support it at the same time, <laughs> keep you safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can acknowledge that <laughs> I was a lot as <laughs> a kid and also as a teen. But yeah, I was just, I mean, this was just making me think that I think a good way of like understanding that almost is, I don't know if your listeners know a lot about the Enneagram. I think you might have said that you did a I did podcast a podcast on, on it. Yes, I did. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to it, it's a podcast. I actually don't have the episode number in front of me, but it's with Diana Ideas and we did a whole podcast on the Enneagram. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love the Enneagram. And I think I, I had Bailey take it for the first time last week and she came out as a two and which is really interesting because like almost all my best friends are twos and um, I'm a seven and so are you. And I think it's it's funny because when I think about like the seven who's like the enthusiast, like, you know, very like doesn't really start a lot of or doesn't really finish a lot of things that they've started always trying to jump to the next thing, always trying to, you know, like buy plane tickets somewhere, kind of like very adventurous in that sense. But the two um, is very like loving is like all about like, you know, finding that like sense of community and just like appreciation and like just being so so generous and like utterly selfless and I can completely see that in Bailey so I think it's almost just like you know that difference was really interesting to me because I can totally see that yeah and speaking of communication I remember there was a time when you were I don't even remember how old you were I want to say 12 or 13 and I remember I was on a walk with my friend Dina and I was I was just like really frustrated and I was like oh my gosh she's driving me crazy I don't know what to do and you know She's so, she's so this, she's so that. And I remember Dina saying to me, you realize she's exactly like you, right? (laughs) And that's probably why you guys are butting heads. And I had to sit and think about that. I'm like, I guess you're right. I mean, because we really look like each other. Oh, yeah. No, everyone (laughs) always tells us that we look like carbon (laughs) copies of each other. It's so funny. (laughs) It has been funny. But so talk to me about, when you started to notice the difference, because, you know, as parents, we we do what we what was modeled for us. We do what we think we're supposed to do. We don't always, you know, it's not like we're in support groups with other parents to be like, hey, how are you doing this? You know, I mean, we have friends that we talk to. But when did you start to notice that our communication as a family and specifically our communication between you and I was maybe different than your friends? I think that that was like a time for me between 
middle school and high school, like right when I was entering high school. And I, which was right after the divorce, just a couple years. And um, I just remember I went to this social entrepreneurship camp through this organization called My Name, My Story that um, my friend Amit Dadani um, organized and founded when I was in middle school. And everyone should check that out because it's a really, really cool organization. Um, But they put on this social entrepreneurship camp. And I remember thinking, because we we were tasked with finding an issue and finding a solution to that issue that was really kind of unique and some sort of, you know, um, solution to a problem that that we felt wasn't out there yet. And we had a lot of really amazing people come to the camp and talk about, you know, the organizations that they started. And a lot of really cool people came and talked about the organizations that they had started. And what made me think of something that I, you know, could kind of bring to my classmates and people around me um, in my community was a sense of kind of support and, you know, just openness that I always felt like I was so grateful to have with my family that a lot of other people around me I felt didn't have um, just because they didn't have the kind of relationship with their parents or with any, you know, caregivers or guardians that they had that I had with you guys. And it was sad to me because I, you know, middle school is just a treacherous time for everyone. It is. It's, and, aw- it's so awful. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. Middle school is the worst. Yeah. And everyone's going through hormonal changes. They're, they're becoming themselves. And, you know, I think that just a lot of people were dealing with things around me um, in my friend group in eighth grade that I felt like they had nowhere except kind of our group to kind of turn to. And I always had you guys, you know, because we'd always kind of just created that environment of sharing our feelings and sharing, you know, like what we had done that day. And we always sat down every single night to have a family dinner around the table, which a lot of my friends, you know, wouldn't do with their parents or with their families. And I think I just realized that I wanted to bring that space to a lot of people because I felt that they didn't have that. And so I wanted to create this organization called Student Support Forum at school where, you know, we would just kind of get together like a bunch of students and just like talk about things that people were going through or, you know, social issues that people were thinking about in the news and things like that. Just literally just a forum for people to express things that were on their mind that I felt like I was always able to express at the dinner table every night, you know, and people weren't having that space to do that. And so I think that it was kind of at that point where like right before that, that I had realized that, you know, my friends really didn't have that space that I wanted to give them. And so that's kind of what started me founding that organization at Chaminade and at my high school. And um, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I I remember that. And I remember I remember you forming the organization and I think as a parent, and again, this is not, this is no judgment, but I think as a parent, I was really surprised at how many times, you know, I think in middle school, people start to have issues, you know, if not before then. And I think, you know, a lot, some of your friends were struggling with, you know, starting to either be sexual or, or maybe in high school. Sorry. Yeah. That was probably in high school. But, you know, I think some of your friends were, you know, in high school as you started the organization. Yeah. Well, like, and at that point, to to put a note on that, too, we were, I mean, it was, I think that's when we were doing sex ed. And that was like the, yes. the time that I felt like I could come to you and talk about a lot of the things because, you know, I was going through a Catholic sexual education program <laughs> where 
where, you know, I, I had never really heard of any of these things before. And they were obviously very kind of strict about a lot of things. And I just didn't know what was going on. So I felt comfortable enough to come and talk to you about it. And, you know, what certain terms meant and like what, you know, things were normal and stuff like that, where I feel like so many of my friends wouldn't even dare think about talking to their parents about that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just as a side note, you know, we say in a Catholic school, not because we're (laughs) very uh, strict Catholics or very religious at all, but we sent you there because the education was phenomenal. And I also wanted you and your sister to have more diversity than um, the school that you were previously at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it definitely checked the box for both of those. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal education. But yes, I mean, I think the information that you were being taught in that sex ed class was not necessarily in alignment with our family values. And I was super grateful that you came home and we had those open conversations at the dinner table in front of your dad and, you know, and it was no big deal. And I was surprised that some of your other friends didn't, didn't have that opportunity. And, and then I think as we, as you got more and more into high school, you know, and kids were starting to experiment with drugs or being sexually active or one of your friends, you know, cut. And, um, I think another friend had, I want to say an eating disorder. Yeah. I had a lot of friends going through yeah, a number of different things. Yeah. And, you know, or, or, you know, kids struggling with, you know, parents going through a divorce and they Mm -hmm. had nowhere to turn to and, or even friends having issues in the friend group. And it was just kind of cool because your friends would come here. Yeah. And they would talk to me or Mm -hmm. they would talk to your stepdad, John, my husband, who also happens to be a therapist specializing in adolescence. And I just felt like it was this amazing opportunity for us to help give space to kids who needed a safe space to talk. And I was, I think, consistently surprised that you know, parents weren't initiating these conversations with their kids. And well, I think that, you know, now that I'm really thinking about it, I think that so much of that, like so much of, you know, that kind of relationship that not only we were able to have, but you were able to have with, you know, my friends and everything like that, too, is because not only was I being open with you and, you know, my friends are being open with you, but and honest, but like, I think that the reason why we had such an amazing relationship and we're able to have that kind of communication is because, you were so honest and open also about, you know, kind of like experiences that you've gone through and, you know, things that have like helped you learn and grow. Because I think that honestly, I feel like that's maybe the issue when it comes to parenting kids and stuff, because you want to make it, I'm sure, you know, you want to make it feel and sound like there's this perfect person who, you know, has done no wrong. And like, you're coming from that kind of place because you want your kids to be the best. But I think that sharing the struggles that you had gone through and sharing experiences that you'd gone through, like even, you know, very personal things, you know, just I think helped me relate to you more as like a friend and as like a person rather than just like my parent and my, you know, like authority figure in my life. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. And I'll, I'll caveat that a little bit just for my listeners who are parents. Um, this was the advice from John, who again is a therapist I shared things with you at age-appropriate times, yeah, and I didn't always share. I would withhold 
if I thought it was going to influence you, mm-hmm. because I know, you know, I know there were are, are some parents out there that try to like, I think, veer way too far on the friend route and like share everything. And like, you know, when kids are 14, 15, like drinking beers with their kids, like that definitely there's was a lack of respect there, I think. Yeah. And that definitely was not me. Yeah. I tried to stay kind of in the middle. You know, I, I always shared with you guys like, hey. If we're friends in the end, that's great. But my, you know, parenting is my primary purpose. And if we have a friendship, that's like an awesome bonus. But the interesting thing is we always did. Yeah. But I was also, like I said, you know, to the parents listening, I was also, I would withhold or I wouldn't share fully um, some things depending on how I was kind of trying to influence or coach or guide you along the way. Yeah. But I would, all, but I would be as open as I could. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that too is like explaining the reasons behind what you were doing or saying and like kind of the rules that you had, because I think that, you know, a lot of parents might say, this is just the way it is because I'm the parent or this is the way it is because, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's in charge. And I think that knowing the reasons behind, like actually having that line of communication and you telling me, you know, this is why I'm doing this or like this is the reason why I feel like I need to do this right now or something like that, you know, when it came to disciplining or anything like that helped me understand you a little bit more because I feel like and, you know, kind of accept those things a little bit more too. And not to say that everything was <laughs> perfect by any means. Like, <laughs> like you know, there were definitely times when I did not see you as a friend nope. <laughs> and uh, not at all. <laughs> and we definitely had, you know, hard times and rough patches where, you know, there wasn't that kind of communication. But I feel like even at the end of all those times, like there would always be a conversation, like nothing like when we ever had an issue, it wouldn't be, okay, well, you know, here's here's a little something to like make up for it or whatever. Like there was never like, you know, because I feel like sometimes that's the way that people, you know, kind of make up with each other. They kind of just brush it under the rug or, you know, do something nice for the other person. But I think like we always had to have an in-depth conversation about like what what had gone on, what our feelings were, what you know, emotions that we were having and how how we felt about the other person and what we feel could be better going into the future. And I think that I appreciated that because it helped me like actually learn and grow and not not only like make the same mistakes again, but I feel like, I mean, you can speak to this more, but I feel like that also helped you understand me better and kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, where I was coming from with a lot of stuff too. And I mean, I think especially with school and having ADHD and like you not like understanding that just because you don't have ADHD like that was also like a big thing too is because you know sometimes I would do things that you know maybe came off like lazier I would just forget to do things and like mm-hmm. you know all that kind of stuff but like trying to communicate about it I think hopefully helped you understand me a little bit I felt that so no I, absolutely and I think you know what you talk about is you know kind of after you and I would maybe get in a blowout or have you know some disagreement that we always that that was definitely you know one thing that was really important to me is that we had follow through on that conversation because and that was a pure circumstance of me trying to do the opposite of how I was raised. Mm-hmm. We never talked about anything, literally, whether it was me and my mom or me and my dad or my mom and my dad. You know, would have some disagreement or we'd get upset with each other or yell at each other, and then all of a sudden we'd sit down at the dinner table. 
and talk about our school day like nothing ever happened. And I remember my, my parents fought a lot when I was young, like not yelling or screaming, but just a lot of bickering. And then all of a sudden they'd sit down at the table like nothing was wrong. So I never learned as a young adult or a teenager how to resolve problems. Yeah. And I brought that with me into, I think, my work. Um, anytime a problem came up, I would always like feel like I wanted to cry or I'd feel like I'd want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also brought it into my marriage with your dad. And, you know, I always wanted to avoid conflict. And so I felt like oftentimes I would either just say yes and agree to appease to kind of get through the situation because I didn't I didn't have the tools or the skills to to know how to resolve yeah. conflict or resolve problems. And so I was bound and determined as a parent, like this is something that I am going to do with my kids. They're going to learn how to resolve conflict. And um, so I'm super happy that you share that because. And I think honestly, I feel like both ways, it's still difficult because I think even if you're not talking about it, you know, and you are kind of just brushing things under the rug, it's, it's, it's difficult to like have the conversations that we would have. But like, you know, I think that even having that kind of relationship, like it's still not necessarily like the easiest to like sit down and you know have those long drawn out conversations about like our feelings and stuff like it's always I don't want to say like annoying because it's not we're not just doing it to do it but it's like it's still you know a process and I think that that's why it's like daunting for maybe like people to do that just because it you know you have to be vulnerable and you have to be like willing to kind of like put yourself out there in like a very visceral sense you know I guess yeah and I think it takes time. It's it's an investment of time and energy. And, and it's not easy, but it's worth it 100%, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you think that because I, I you know, I always think that. And yeah. And I think that's given me, like, that's a tool 100% that's, like, helped me, you know, quote, lead my life today, too. Just because, like, you say that you brought that into work and into, you know, your relationships and stuff, too. Well, I mean, I know you were talking about the the flip side of that but like like on the flip side of that I think that I've brought that into like my you know relationships with my partners and you know people that I've been with and my friends and you know people that like I'm just interacting with in daily life like teachers anything you know like I always whenever there is a conflict like I still am pretty you know non-confrontational necessarily but like I I don't like conflicts to arise but when they do it's always, always going to have to end in like some sort of conversation and like conciliatory, you know, time to talk to each other and like actually work through what happened. And, you know, I see that difference in my friends too, because some people aren't used to that. And then like, you know, some people like when my friends McKenna, like we had an issue, she came to me immediately, like we just had that conversation. And it's like so refreshing at that point too, to like see that in another person as well. Mm. And to like know that like they have also been raised that way. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to judge anyone who hasn't because obviously sure. it's really difficult. But right. I think that it's it just creates such an open relationship between us too, you know? Yeah. And I, I think the sometimes the downside of that, right, is if you're interacting with someone who who hasn't had that opportunity to have those kind of open conversations it can be really hard for it, them. It can be hard for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I think that's something I've had to learn because I always had a very open relationship with my mom. And so I loved that part of our relationship and definitely wanted to pass that to my kids, which I'm glad to hear I did. But for 
for people that haven't been exposed, you know, it can seem a little emotionally daunting yeah. to just kind of dive in to have those conversations. It's scary. It's 100%. It's scary for them. Yeah. I, I'll never <laughs> I'll never forget um, one of my friends, Pia, came to visit when we first became friends. This was probably eight or nine years ago. And uh, dad and I ha- were already divorced because we got divorced when you uh, eight and 11. And so Pia came over, I don't know, I want to say when you were 12. And I remember sitting, well, no, it would have been after that because I was with John. So let's say, just say when you were 13. And um, I remember sitting around a dinner table conversation and it was like very normal conversation for us. And we sat there for like an hour and just talked about, you know, what happened at school and your feelings about it and maybe some friend drama and, you know, just every everything. And I remember she walked away from the conversation. She's like, is that a normal <laughs> dinner conversation? I'm like, yeah, why? And I honestly had no idea what she was talking about. She's like, yeah, that's just very different than mm-hmm. our family conversations, you know? And I just thought that was normal. <laughs> you know? yeah. I just thought that was normal. So, you know, and I also don't want to, I don't want to sit here in this interview because I just think it would do total injustice to parenting in general, as well as I'm all about being real and honest. You know, I'm not going to sit here and just say, yeah, we, yes, we did. We have had, and we still have a super close relationship. It hasn't always been easy for us. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about any of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that like with that closeness and stuff too, like, you know, like you were saying, like, I never really want to become like too much of a friend and things like that. I think that sometimes things were difficult for me because I felt like, you know, maybe because we did have that element of our relationship that, you know, the expectations might have been different at certain times. And like, you know, like I felt I think that what I've realized from like, you know, having like looking back on my childhood, especially, you know, in like my teenage years and high school and stuff, I think what I struggled with was knowing where you know like the boundaries were in certain situations like knowing where those like hard lines actually did stand because I think that we were so open with each other about a lot of things that like you know I wasn't always fully like aware of how far I could go or like you know what I mean like when it came to like freedom and things like that and independence (laughs) because like we were talking about earlier you know like I do (laughs) I do like to exert my (laughs) independence and I think you know, just I think I had an issue sometimes with like where the rules really did stand. You know what I mean? And I know you're going to refute that. But like, and you know what? Sometimes I'm not going to lie. Of course. I'm totally sometimes, laughing because no matter where, if you knew where the boundary was, you always okay, pushed it. Okay. You always pushed it. That's fair. But I think, <laughs> I think, look, sometimes I will take responsibility. It was definitely me knowing a boundary and pushing it. Yes. But then sometimes I think (laughs) I may have been able to push a boundary in the past and it wasn't necessarily like disciplined or like it wasn't actually like clear that that had been like a misstep. And then I do it again and then it's like, you know, all hell breaks loose. But (laughs) no. And and so so what you're really talking about is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Consistency. I think that was that was the thing. Yes. And, you know, the reality of that is, uh, you know. First of all, I, I own that and and I take responsibility for that. And there were just some days as a parent, you're just like, F it. Like, I'm freaking <laughs> tired. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Like, 
I'm just going to let that one go. <laughs> and then there's other days you're like, no, you know what? I've had enough. Like, yeah. this has got to stop. Yeah. And so, yeah. But you know what? I own that as a parent. And I mean, I'm sitting here looking at our puppy right now. And I will tell you, I mean, consistency matters. It does. I mean, even with, you know, training her and the positive reinforcement. And, you know, if I'm inconsistent, guess what? There's accidents in the house. And that's on me. And yeah. so I totally own that as a parent. But yeah. And I think also that might have been like a necessity more for me than it was for Bailey because I, you know, obviously have that different personality. But I think a lot of that was also the ADHD and not necessarily like being able to balance those things as well as, you know, she has been able to in the sense that, you know, there is like forgetfulness and, you know, a tendency to kind of like not think about time in a way that's normal or like think about mm -hmm. the future in a way that's normal so like you know sometimes I would rush home <laughs> like speeding my car trying to get home by curfew and then like I'd walk in you know like three minutes late and sometimes it was okay and then like sometimes it it wasn't okay yeah. so I feel like you know it's just understanding kind of like where those lines are because it's it's hard sometimes with ADHD to like like balancing everything that's in my head, all of my thoughts together and, you know, just prioritizing things other than myself and my own needs is was difficult. Yeah. It was a growing process in high school for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Because Let's talk about your ADHD because I think obviously there's a lot of kids and even adults that have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I know as a parent, I definitely learned a lot after you got diagnosed and you got diagnosed in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And Looking back now, I realize after I had the information and, and got more educated, I realized you probably had it since you were super young. Yeah. Like probably in first kindergarten, first grade, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And I think it went undiagnosed for a long time. And that's a real difference between women and males as well, just because like it shows up so differently. So usually girls are able to kind of, you know, now that I've done more research on it and stuff, usually girls are able to hide it until it becomes too much becomes like a point where the subject matter especially in school I mean just in school especially like where yeah. the subject matter becomes too difficult to compensate for yeah the distraction exactly know? and so so basically since you were such a brilliant you know kid and you're well thank you, you yeah no I mean you, you were definitely gifted and what what happens you know kind of what you're sharing is it, I'll go into a little bit more detail is especially gifted kids um you can compensate for the ADHD because oh, and when I made the gender distinction that's not because guys aren't as smart it's because for guys it usually shows up more as the hyperactivity the hyperactivity versus girls it's very inattentive so that was the the point I was trying to make <laughs> yeah no I got it um so yeah so I mean you know what happens is is you know especially if you're gifted you can compensate because the work comes so easy so you can wait till the last minute. You can, mm -hmm. you know, you can put things off. You can um, just things come easier. And then you finally got to a point in high school with your AP classes and everything else where you could no longer compensate for the challenge that you were faced with, which was ADHD. Yeah, it was definitely chemistry. I know it was honors chemistry. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, I mean, but I mean, from the time you were little, literally, I would sit with you after school and mm -hmm. sit with you and do homework for hours. And I just thought yeah. that was because you were in private school. You were my firstborn. I mm -hmm. had no idea. I was always thinking the teachers were crazy for assigning so much work at such a young age. But I was like, I didn't know any different. Yeah. And 
you know, I mean, you would sit for hours and hours and do homework and, and then, um, you know, and that carried on into high school. You always went to bed late. You weren't, you weren't getting enough sleep. Even in high school, I would stay up with you and, and try to make sure that you were getting your work finished. And, but I mean, you weren't going to bed until like one, two o'clock sometimes. And I would try to help you by, you know, just trying to help you. And then there was a part of me as a parent, I was getting frustrated. I was like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You're screwing around on your phone. You're getting distracted by this or yeah. you're lazy. You're leaving. You know, I never called you lazy directly, but like in my mind, I was like, you know, look, you're being lazy. You're not being, um, you're not using your time. You're not time management. You know, you have no time management. You're not planning ahead. Like, why can't you get this? And I think I was, I was frustrated a lot. And then when you got diagnosed, you know, and we sat with the psychiatrist, I remember her sharing a lot of behaviors. Yeah. I was like, oh God, it makes so much <laughs> sense. And yeah. I remember you getting emotional in that mm-hmm session because you're like oh my gosh like someone is finally explaining me yeah to my parents do you mm-hmm. remember that yeah no I do remember that yeah what did you feel I mean I think I just I felt seen in that way because I think that like I was struggling for so long with like understanding like why I couldn't just do it like why I couldn't just you know get up start my homework finish my homework go to bed you know mm-hmm. and I think it's just because like I you know I never realized that the way that I was thinking was like different than other people because a lot of that was definitely like the time management and because the thing with ADHD is that like our brains have less dopamine naturally than like other brains do and so because of that deficiency like we're always looking for things that like triggered the dopamine response like you know automatically and also it that we have like a different sense of the passage of time so it's like if I'm on my phone and I'm constantly getting <laughs> some dopamine by like scrolling on Instagram like, it is so much harder to, like, tear away from that and mm-hmm. start something that I know will not give me that dopamine hit consistently. Yeah. And also because I'm not thinking about how much time I have to do things, which is why I'm always late still. But <laughs> Which is why I always tell you we need to leave 30 minutes ahead of time. Yes. And- yeah. That's that's what works for me. But, no, I mean, I still struggle from from that and, like, with my time management and self-discipline because I think that it's also harder to form habits because of all of those reasons combined and um I think that like you know this isn't to like blame you or anything but I think that in elementary school especially like I I remember just coming home and like you know getting a bag of chips and watching tv until eight or nine o'clock and then that's like when I would start my homework and then you know that's but like at the same time you, you and dad and you know everyone in my life always especially John too always instilled in me like a sense of like such a priority for school and such a you know like like I just have always loved school and always seen the value in school and like where my education would be able to take me and so with that in high school I would not start my homework till eight or nine or even like 11 o'clock but like I would not go to sleep until I finished it because Mm. that's also when like the the anxiety of oh my god this is due at 8 a.m in the morning would hit and then I would be able to hyper focus and get in in the mode of you know being able to finish my assignments and stuff. Yeah. And then as a parent, I would get frustrated because, you know, you wouldn't start. And then when you would start, I'd go in and I'd be like, hey, are you working on your final paper? You're like, oh, my gosh, I've spent two hours looking at these awesome prom dresses. <laughs> yeah. And because things would... that would catch my attention, <laughs> I would just do Internet dives, you know. And right. Just, yeah. And I would just get so frustrated, you know, before I knew any of this because... 
I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You yeah. know, like, how can you be that? Un- like, how can you be that unfocused? And it was really frustrating. And then I was, you know, happy once you not happy you had ADHD, but I was happy once you got the diagnosis because yeah. I think it it made things so much clearer for for me, yeah. for, for John, for all of us. Yeah. You know, because I think that was a big struggle in our family. And by the way, if anyone needs an ADHD resource, the book Driven to Distraction is phenomenal. So um, it talks, you know, all about ADHD and mm-hmm. how to how to how to cope and how to and but I also don't want to make it sound like um, it's all negative. What are the gifts? Yeah, I, I think they're definite gifts of ADHD. No, totally. I I think I like wouldn't be the person that I am without ADHD, and like I really do appreciate that part of my personality because although it does make things you know much more difficult, and there are points where it's like really frustrating. I think that I have that like one ADHD trait where you know, which is like hyper focus. Where like if you do, if you are getting a lot of dopamine from something, and like you're actually really interested in something, like I can just zone in and like do research for hours. And you know, I remember in elementary school, I used to make like PowerPoint slides, like ten or twelve slides long of like why I want a hamster or like things like that. And I would spend, I would spend like hours and hours, like several hours per day on the computer, just researching every single thing about hamsters, knowing exactly what I wanted. And I still do that when it comes to like to something that I want or something that I'm like really interested in. I will literally just spend hours and hours and hours like that's what like almost is like my hobby of like finding every single thing out about something that interests me because I don't know it's just that so that hyper focus has helped me so much like when I'm writing essays that I'm like you know really passionate about especially like in philosophy like I'll be able to Mm -hmm. go down a rabbit hole and like I enjoy that and I I'm glad that I have that so that I have that ability for my career because I think like you know nothing would make me happier than being able to just be that all day. So I know. And we've talked about that. We talked about how, you know, doing, being a research professor, um, how that's going to literally be such a gift for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, I mean, just to keep it with the idea of communication and in parenting and everything like that too, I think that that just goes to show, especially with the difference between like Bailey and I, just kind of like how, how there are different needs, you know, in like kids and, parent relationships and like how you know people are just really so different and like need so many different things where there's not like a one size fits all type of deal kind of thing which I I don't know if you can speak more to that but no I mean I I think you bring up an an important point that maybe parents don't think about is there does need to be differentiated parenting for each child you know and I know that because while I don't know names um you know John, who's a therapist, shares with me examples of parents who, you know, have it in them that they want their kid to be the athlete, mm-hmm. the star athlete, and yeah. their son is an amazing flute player. Yeah. And that parent is super disappointed because, you know, his other son is a yeah. huge athlete. And there absolutely needs to be, first of all, in my opinion, a safe place and a container for kids to express themselves, to talk about their feelings. Absolutely. It doesn't always mean as a parent you need to agree. You know, I think there were plenty of times I heard your feelings. I took the time to listen to your point of view. I gave you that respect just as I would an adult. Mm -hmm. At the end, we could agree to disagree. 
And, you know, I could tell you, especially as you got older as a teenager of like, hey, you know, I know that you're going to make good choices. And I think always planting that seed of trust with your kids, too, of like, hey, I know you have the ability to make good choices. You're going to do what you want to do. And letting me make bad choices sometimes, too. Yeah. And sometimes that's the reality of it. I had to allow you the space to make some bad choices, you know, just as if you walk with a toddler and don't let go of their hands, they don't know how to walk on their own. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think what I've seen in coaching clients um, and just, you know, hearing from you and your friends is that there's a lot of young kids out there and, you know, people in their 20s that are suffering from anxiety, suffering from, you know, depression and just kind of a general sadness. And I think some of it has to do with parents not allowing. I think kids have been so micromanaged. And again, this is totally my opinion. You can agree to disagree. Um, I'm talking to the audience now, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I just think kids have been so micromanaged that they don't know how to think on their own. They don't know. They're not, they haven't been allowed to make mistakes. They haven't been given the opportunity to give that space to just Mm kind of develop their own way. Yeah. Cause I think that has to do a lot is especially with like how just competitive, like the world has become, because like, obviously I don't know anything else besides where I'm at right now. And like, you know, the generation that I'm in, but like, what I think has happened is like just, you know, from like talking to you and stuff too, is like there was kind of like a growing sense of, you know, like competition in like the job market, education, things like that. Like, you know, it was it was easier to get into college when mm-hmm. absolutely when you were a kid, when absolutely. you were a teen and things like that. And like so but I think that your generation also realized like it was getting more competitive. So I feel like a lot of parents have probably like raised their kids like so straight and narrow with the idea of trying to get them into being like you know this competitive person amidst their peers because they realize that like you know the job market has gone crazy and like Mm -hmm. you know it's so much harder to get into college everyone's trying to like kind of curate their their children in like yeah this way that like allows them to be the most competitive but then i think because of that and because of like you know i don't want to say like coddling but i think that like such an active role has made it so that like when kids actually do get into that extremely more competitive environment and you know like I see with my friends having to like you know because now it's like you have to balance all of these extracurriculars you have to balance you know extremely hard classes and Mm -hmm. internships and like I think there's just more expectations so with that and just being in a generation facing all these you know crazy global issues and all these kind of things that like we're being thrown into I think that that is so much that like it's hard after having I don't want to say their handhold be- handheld because that sounds condescending in a way but like just having protected protected yeah having that protection and mm-hmm. then actually being thrown into a world where they have to be an individual and have to like you know cope with being you know the one person that has to like solve all these things and do all these things I think that that is really difficult because their parents have tried to make them a competitive candidate in a way, but like not maybe given them the tools to actually like exist in that kind of an environment. I think that that's like what I feel like, because I think that while you guys instilled like the priorities in me to like do those things, like it was like me doing them for myself in a way because I had those same priorities and values, but like I had to fail sometimes and I had to like, you know, do those things by myself to like really 
figure that out. And not to say that I'm obviously like, you know, perfect in any way or like, you know, that, yeah. you know, people who have like, of course, that that inclination for parents is always like in the best interest of the kid. But I think that that's maybe what has happened, you know? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think what happens is then kids get into college or even into their first job and all of a sudden they're just really overwhelmed yeah because I experienced that with a lot of my friends especially freshman year of college like a lot of people I mean that's also like given like I just really wanted to be out on my own like doing everything (laughs) that like I could do by myself because I just feel like I've always wanted to do that you know like I've wanted to be in college since I was in like eighth grade but like (laughs) like second grade yeah honestly but but I think a lot of people didn't know how to like it wasn't even just like knowing how to do things on their own, but like just feeling confident in themselves and their ability to handle situations on their own. Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, I think I always kind of my parenting philosophy was always, you know, I'd let you I kind of let out the leash and mm-hmm. and then, you know, I'd kind of bring it back in and then let it out. And I would I tried to be flexible. I tried to, like you said, I think I always try to communicate my why of like why I was saying things and not just come off as an authoritative. um, And for me, it was never around control or authority or power. It was always around um, helping you to understand so you could be a better person and you could. And like I said, we didn't always agree. We we definitely had our moments. And, um, you know, you went through your experimentation phase in high school and, you know, I had to rein you in sometimes. And but it was always around your safety, you know, that was the yeah. safety phase of it. But as a parent, this is where I'm probably going to get emotional, but Aww. I'm just so proud of you. Oh, thanks, Mom. I love you. I love you, too. I'm like so, so proud of you. So proud of just the woman that you are and just who you are in this world, how you show up, the decisions you've made, you know, just the friends that you've chosen just you're an amazing person and you know I think as a parent you know you can go back and listen to Bailey's episode we recorded and listen to all the you know social justice work that she's doing Mm -hmm. and climate change work and and I just I think as a parent you always just want your kids to be good people my goal for you for both you and your sister was never to like, oh, I want you guys to make a million dollars or I want you to, you know, go on this certain path that I have set for you. My goal for you and your sister was always to have, to value education and to always have an insatiable curiosity about your world yeah, and to always have an impact. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that, like that orientation and that flexibility, I think more than anything, because I think I've found that with you know, my friends as well is like, I think sometimes parents try to prescribe exactly what they want for their kid in like some certain way. You know what I mean? Like there's obviously like the very extreme example of like making someone do this extracurricular their entire lives and like forcing them into something. But like, I think what was so cool about like growing up with you guys is just that like, I feel that those were the priorities and those were the values of like, you know, these are the baseline things. But like the the goal was always just to be whoever we ended up wanting to be and like whoever you know like the individual that we wanted to become and like that wasn't prescribed for us in a way it was just that like we needed to be good people and like you know prioritize being kind to others and you know valuing you know the things we valued and I think that 
having that flexibility and like not you know making such strict parameters for like kind of what we needed to be allowed us to become what we wanted to be you know and I think that's been the most amazing thing of all is what both of you are doing and how you've contributed and the impact that you guys have both made um, in this world you know as a parent you always you always hope that your kids will live up to your expectations and I can honestly tell you that you and Bailey have completely surpassed all the expectations I've had for both of you. And thank you. um, I'm just really, really proud of you. I know, you know, sometimes it wasn't easy with ADHD and um, I know you've struggled and you know what, you've always cared about school and you've always done so well. And, you know, just your contributions and the clubs that you were involved in on campus, you know, at, USD is just amazing and just who you are as a person in your heart and I love you I love you too uh, um, any last words of wisdom for my listeners who are parents who are either raising you know elementary school or even high school kids well I think you know after like talking about all these things I think that you can probably speak to this more than I can but I feel like I don't want I don't want like people listening to this to think that, you know, they've gotten to a point and then there's no like turning back or like making changes in like the relationship they have with their kids, you know, because I think that like for so many of my friends growing up, like it would have meant the world to them for like their parents to kind of like, you know, see them in a different way or like, you know, really try to communicate with them in a way that they didn't before. And I think that that is possible. You know what I mean? Like, I think it is possible to change that dynamic and like start incorporating things into you know your relationship that haven't been there before and of course I think it is like important to like build those foundations you know from like a young age and I I don't know I just feel like it's it's not like you either messed up or you know succeeded like I think that there is room for change and I think I mean coming from like my perspective of like just you know from the kid point of view I think that what a lot of maybe like my friends would have appreciated or like things like that would would have just been like their parent really treating them with that kind of respect and like seeing them more as an equal, I think, than maybe they they did. And, you know, just starting little habits of checking in or, you know, trying to really like really listen to that person or, you know, I just I think that there are steps that you can take to like build that kind of a relationship with your parent because I know that like, you know, some of my friends like didn't have that with their parents before and you know growing up and having that sense of independence and being like you know away from them like physically and things like that has helped them create like a better relationship where it it, it doesn't have to be like that discipline kind of relationship and I think our relationship has grown so much too like it wasn't always like this like I think that mm-hmm. there have been things that have been so consistent but I think that having that ability to kind of like step back and you know me have my independence and be able to come back to our relationship in like a different way and you know appreciate the things that you know you've given me in my life and you know how you've parented me has been like just kind of eye-opening and I think has helped me understand like if I do want to have kids at one point like how I would want to raise them and things like that you know because like just like being in that in that different space and like being my own parent now in a way you know whereas like of course like because you've always said like at a, at a certain point I think a parent's job is like just to kind of like become a coach, you know, when Mm -hmm. 
like in high school and stuff especially and so I feel like you've given that to me and like I think that you know I I would encourage like other people who maybe like don't feel like they have that closeness like with their kids maybe to just even like asking them like what they need or like what they want you know like it's it doesn't necessarily have to be that you have all of the answers you know to to give them and you know you have to know exactly what to do to like make that relationship better but just like literally just coming to them and maybe like talking to them asking them what they need more of or you know what they feel like could be a positive change in that relationship could help that happen yeah so i'll just expand on what you're saying um i'll just give some practical examples of some tips and some maybe questions you can start having with your even your elementary school um age child and kind of just before I do that, just tagging on to what you're saying, you know, about parent, you know, changing your parenting philosophy or, or just even pivoting your parenting. I would absolutely say that when you and your sister were younger, I was a much more controlling, authoritative parent. I would say once John entered the picture and really helped me and coached me how to be a better parent, I would say I definitely switched gears and learned a lot from him. And these are some of the things he taught me, so I'll share them with my listeners. Is One is, I think as parents, we feel like we need to have all the answers. And when kids ask us a question, we automatically, and I used to do this all the time, we automatically jump in with our philosophy and our perspective and our answer to their question. And we, we miss a huge opportunity of just pausing and saying, why are you asking that? Or I'm curious to know why that's important to you. And like asking a question back instead of, you know, giving them your answer. And I'll give you a funny example of how this lesson rang true for me. There was a guy at work who was a parent and his kid was, I want to say he was reading age. So maybe eight or nine. And he, his son came to him and said, daddy, what does sex mean? (laughs) <laughs> and he was sweating because his wife wasn't home from work yet. He was sweating and he was like, oh, my God, how am I going to answer this? I have no idea. And, he, you know, he's conjuring up all, you know, the birds and the bees talk. And his wife came home and said, oh, well, Joey, why are you asking the question? And he said, oh, I saw in the magazine. It said, what sex is your baby? <laughs> and so just that simple question can really, you know, just clarify things, first of all, because Mm -hmm. then that was a really simple, oh, it just means, are you a boy or are you a girl? And you didn't have to go into the whole birds and the bees conversation. And so just sometimes asking kids like, hey, why are you asking that? Or, you know, tell me more instead of verbally vomiting on kids, which I think sometimes parents do a lot. Yeah. I think asking those like, like probing questions, like would probably get you farther than you know trying to analyze the situation or things like that because I think you know something that I realize is like different between you and dad too is like sometimes I mean I feel like you know a different side of me better than you know like he would in certain situations just because we have that like mother-daughter kind of Mm -hmm. bond you know but like I think that in certain situations like you'll ask me more questions and like really like try to ask like deeper questions or like another question even when like you know maybe I've like answered it and think everything's done, whatever. Like it's kind of like those that open up 
deeper conversations between us and you know actually like get us talking in a different kind of a way than I think yeah yeah so my advice is ask open-ended questions because Mm -hmm. and then my second set of my second piece of advice is don't overreact I think Mm -hmm. so many parents you know I remember feeling it like when I knew that you know you and your sister were oh I even hate talking about like you know just even starting like the sexual talk you know the sexual activities and I just remember inside dying and I remember Mm -hmm. John telling me like whatever they tell you do not react and do not give them any kind of facial expression or anything just like have the conversation and then at the end you can say look you know by this time you're old enough right look you're gonna do what you want to do because the reality is parents your kids are gonna do whatever they want to do I feel like that honestly if I were to say like one of the biggest differences between what I've experienced between like you and other parents and stuff like that too is just like that we've been more open about that and that like I think you've been more accepting of me like as an individual in that way than like other parents would be because I think like you know obviously you're you've been strict about certain things and you know i think a lot of parents are really strict about that where it's like you know i don't i don't know like good examples but like basically just that like you know we're not going to have that conversation or like i don't want to you know know anything or like you know just when you have the idea that things are happening like shutting it down completely and like not even having a conversation about it where it's like i feel like when those things came up not only was i like able to come ask you questions about things and you know, so like that when I started experimenting, but like, I just think that just knowing that like you weren't judging me for like being a normal person and like being like a normal teen, like, you know, cause obviously all my friends were doing the exact same thing, regardless of whether their parents knew or accepted it. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that that's just the truth that people need to, I guess, get in their heads is that like, it's, it's there whether you like it or not. Right. It's not going to go away. Regardless of what you do. And my whole thing was, is I wanted to be a source of credible information. Yeah. Instead of having you get information from your friends Mm -hmm. who may or may not have credible information. Yeah. And it's not like you were so lax that like, you know, you would just let things happen and whatever. And right. Sleepovers. Like that wasn't (laughs) a thing. You know what I mean? But like, I just think, you know, so it wasn't like that. To, to that extent that there was like that freedom but it was like I always I never felt like I was being like judged for like doing normal things you know I think what you're saying is I had limits but I there was an openness mm-hmm. you yeah. know I definitely had limits and boundaries like and as much as friends we were like I had very clear limits of what yeah you know you're right there was no boy girl sleepovers or a house there wasn't that but Reality well, is, I mean, there were with friends, which I think was actually really cool too, which my friends' parents didn't. Oh, well, yeah, I didn't think about but that. But that wasn't, they weren't like romantic people that I was involved right. with. It was just my friends. But I think that was cool too, because it just kind of was like, you know, you accepted that I had guy friends and that we, like Alejandro, you know, we would, yeah. my brother, like we would just yeah always hang out and stuff like that too. But if I would have had a thought that there was uh-huh. any kind of, you know, maybe intimate connection, that would have never happened. Yeah. So. And unfortunately, you know me way too well. So. <laughs> That's the benefit of having an open mm-hmm. relationship. <laughs> yeah, I can never get anything as hard as I try, even today. It's <laughs> annoying. I do remember you saying at one point in high school, I don't know how she does it. She's like the NSA, the FBI, swear to CIA. God. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I'm so glad we got to do this. Me too. Um. Hopefully, parents, it helps you know that you can 
have an amazing relationship with your child, with your teenager. It's not always easy. It's not always perfect. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. The beauty is we've is had that very high highs and very low lows. Like I'm not gonna lie. But we have. It's made it amazing, you know, like we've grown from all those experiences. And the the thing is, is that we always know, and you brought it up earlier, we always know that we'll always work things out. Yeah. Because there that, is that pattern too. Yeah. And that our love is no matter how frustrated we could be with each other, no matter what's happening, we neither one of us ever punish each other. Yeah. We never withhold or we don't talk, you know, not talk to each other for two weeks or yeah. she will scream. I'm not lying. But then we'll talk about it and we'll be okay. <laughs> Which is what I think, you know, John has said. He's like been shocked by it too, because he's never seen that before. We're like, we'll get very mad, but then we always work it out. We know? do. I love you. I love you too. All right. <laughs> That's a that's a wrap for today. Otherwise, we, we could talk for like two hours and maybe we'll that's do another true. episode. Yeah. Yeah, we've already gone a, an hour and 11 minutes. That's so. crazy. All right. All right. I love you. I love you. Thanks for being the best mom ever. Aw. Thanks for being the best kid ever. Thanks. I love you. Not the easiest kid, but the best kid. Well, hey, back at you. So. <laughs> love you. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.